It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. It's amazing what's happening in this country with this new president. We're going to discuss the impact because I don't know anyone's going to be uh, uh, not in the line of fire. Don Eberhardt will be with us, Chief Executive Officer of uh, Canary LLC. Uh, he's a Colorado-based driller, and man, has he been affected by what Joe Biden is doing with executive orders. Drilling, you're talking about pipelines, you're talking about building the wall, you're talking about oil and gas prices. If you drive a car, if you ever fly on a plane again, you're going to be affected by these executive orders, and not in a good way. Uh, Leo Terrell is standing by to talk about the big push yesterday on racial equity as opposed to equality. Longtime civil rights attorney and now a Fox News contributor. Before we get to Leo, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This impeachment is nothing more than a partisan exercise designed to further divide the country. Democrats claim to want to unify the country, but impeaching a former president is the antithesis of unity. Rand Paul well said, still trying to oust Trump. What are they afraid of as impeachment starts next week and Republicans let it be done? It's pure politics and theater, and I believe it will make 45, that's President 45, even more of a party power player. Number two. I don't think unions are overruling studies. I think what you're seeing is the schools that haven't made the investments to keep the students safe. That's true. Open up the schools, end the lockdown, cycle the vaccine. This is almost all we should be doing right now as a country before it's too late for kids, seniors, and businesses. Why is this so hard to understand? Biden's haphazard mixed message approach not helping. Number one. I'm rescinding the previous administration's harmful ban on diversity and sensitivity training and abolish the offensive counterfactual 1776 commission. And the simple truth is, our soul will be troubled as long as systemic racism is allowed to persist. Yeah, don't worry about my soul. Thanks, Joe. War on jobs in the name of party politics. Joe Biden's focus on being woefully woke ignores the pandemic's economic struggles and continues to attack oil, gas, drillers, and more, costing U.S. billions and making America less secure. Sadly, it looks like the worst is yet to come. Yesterday was focused on racial equity. I don't know, still don't know what they announced. It is just bizarre. Equity, banking, housing, but in what way and how? Always want to help level the playing field. But is that what we're talking about? Leo Terrell joins us, Fox News contributor, civil rights attorney. Leo, I watched yesterday. I read. I saw most of both press conferences. I still don't know what he's going to do. Do you? No, and thank you for having me, Brian. I was on Outnumber, and I was watching the press conference by Susan Rice, and she kept using, and the entire administration kept using this term systemic discrimination, systemic racism. They never define it. I've been a civil rights attorney for 30 years. I know what it means. It does not exist in this country. They claim that all governments, local, state, is just basically racist. Brian, you got people of all colors running governments on the local level, state level. Identify the system. Identify the department. They don't do it. The reason why they use the race card 
to fracture this country is a Democratic playbook card, and they keep using it without defining it. It's unbelievable because this is a serious thing. And if there are racists out there, let's rid society of them. They should be ostracized and destroyed. If you can't get a house because of the color of your skin or the eraser ethnicity, it's got to stop yesterday. But I don't know what we we're doing here. And my sense is we're writing checks to people. Uh, and when you talk about equity, here's a little more from Susan Rice. Cut four. The evidence is clear. Investing in equity is good for economic growth. And it creates jobs for all Americans. Economists have estimated that the U.S. economy has lost a staggering $16 trillion over the last 20 years because of discrimination against families of color. If we closed racial gaps in income and opportunity, these same economists have estimated we could add $5 trillion to the U.S. economy over the next five years. Can you name one of these economists to talk about how we're going to find $5 trillion? Uh, hey, Brian, I'll top you this. I'll top you on this. Where's the evidence? She says the evidence is clear. Where's the evidence? What is the evidence? She doesn't define I'm a lawyer. I'm listening to these words, and it's just words that were written by some third party to make people upset and angry that this country is racist. Brian, last summer, during all those summer riots in Democratic cities run by black, white, and brown, they kept saying discrimination, systemic discrimination. Where? Who's responsible? Give me some names. Give me some departments. They don't do it, Brian. I'm telling you, it's the reason why I left the Democratic Party, because you got Joe Biden. Remember, he said last year, if you vote Republican, you ain't black. He's the racist. So, Leo, where did you grow up? I grew up in Los Angeles. I went to public schools. I went to college in California. I went to law school in California. I did not see this systemic system that denied me a law degree, that denied me a teaching degree, that denied me the opportunity to work. Just identify this system because this country is big enough, strong enough. It believes in liberty and freedom. But you know what? They're using this, Brian, as a, as a tool to constantly right. divide us. And I think it's wrong. But there must have been something that prompted you in our society that wanted you to be a civil rights lawyer. You did notice inequity in our society, and you wanted to fight it. You're absolutely right. And, Brian, here's the key, and people need to understand this. This is not 1950 anymore. I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and I would grant you in the 60s and 70s we had systems where people excluded people of color. But, Brian, 60 years later, 2020, all the laws that we have on the books, all the people in Congress, look at the diversity in Congress. We had a black president. I'm just begging all your listeners to just tell me, name the department, name the person responsible for having these racist policies. It happened before. It's not existing today. Here's what Ben Carson said. Tell me if you can relate to this. Cut five. You know, I grew up in the 50s and 60s, and I can tell you what real racism was like. It was an everyday event. The world is very different here in America right now. And, you know, to use race as a mechanism to obtain power and position, I think it's really quite shameful. And in fact, race relationships have deteriorated. Why have they deteriorated? Because of the great emphasis trying to create white guilt and black victimhood. Those are two very bad things, and when you put them together, it results in some policies that absolutely make no sense. 
I, I, that, it's almost what, you, what you've been saying, right? Ex- exactly what I just said. My mom and dad grew up in the South in the 30s and 40s. They moved us out to L.A. I was born in L.A. in the 50s and grew up in the 60s. And I'm telling you right now, Ben Carson is spot on. I could not say it any better. You know, just reading, I'm, I'm doing this book now uh, about the president of the Freedom Fighter, about Frederick Douglass and, and Abraham Lincoln. And you saw Frederick Douglass. When the thing was the key to his success was education. He found a way to learn. So when people looked at at two different the white and black race, they said, "Well, the whites are superior." It was all about education. And as soon as the African Americans got education, things started equaling. And sadly, it took us a hundred years, and we made huge progress. But it is still about education, and oh, the Brian, best you, you can, can about family, right? You are so spot on, Brian. Education is a key to break the poverty cycle. You're spot on. The reason why I'm a Fox News contributor, the reason why I'm a lawyer is because my parents forced me to talk and to, to pursue education as a powerful weapon. And I'll tell you right now, this is another part of the Democratic playbook. The teachers union, they dominate the Democratic Party. They keep people of color in poor schools. They deny a school choice. But you are spot on. Education is the key to break the poverty cycle for all people, regardless of color. But when we have uh, property taxes going to school systems, and when you have low-income housing, you don't get a lot of taxes. Therefore, not enough money goes to these school systems. So there are subsidies in New York for uh, disadvantaged areas. I mean, what is the right way to attack a situation where so many times I look at, uh, in many cases, black families with single parents. Maybe the parent works two jobs or no job. They don't. That's where the disadvantage is. So I'm not saying that every white family with money doesn't have problems. There's alcoholics, there's addiction, there's people that are just disinterested in being parents. But how do we help the family in a quantifiable way? Excellent question. Again, you give them, first of all, you start with the education system and you give them the opportunity to choose schools, charter schools, private schools, and you give them that opportunity to move outside their school district. Let's not limit people of color school choices by zip code. Give them the opportunity, give them the subsidies to go to a school of choice. That is the biggest obstacle in Democratic cities because the unions and the Democratic Party want the dependency of these individuals to depend on them. And that, Brian, is the key. You break the the poverty cycle by improving the educational choices. I guarantee you, you give those choices to those parents in those urban cities, and I guarantee you, they would run to get their kids in a better school environment. You know, what's so interesting is that a lot of times if you're a competitor – and you're out there and you're studying and you're whatever you do, you play sports, you have a job and you want to get to that great college. And then someone says to you, well, OK, I'm going to give you a special advantage to get you that great college. You look at the person and you say, wait a second, I don't need any breaks. I earn my own breaks. Uh, and 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 with the fact is, sometimes people perceive that if you're at Harvard or Yale and you're in a minority community, oh, you must have got a break. And I understand if talking to enough people about this, that really aggravates them. How dare you think oh. I didn't earn it? Brian, oh, you know, please let me just say this point because you're absolutely right. I had the opportunity, based on my grades, to go to UCLA Law School. I took the California State Bar, one of the hardest state bars in the country. I passed it on the first time, not because of any special break. I got the same 
state yep. bar exam as the same individual regardless of color. I, I find it offensive when they tell people of color, you need a special advantage. No, we don't. We just need the opportunity to go to great schools, which right now is being blocked by Democrats and public unions. And that's the offensive part. As a civil rights attorney, I'm offended by people of my own race blocking people of color from pursuing educational opportunity. It's embarrassing and offensive. We just got to find a way to get in there and get the next generation empowered to reach their goals, to reach their potential, whatever it is. But by handing it out and telling white people that they're guilty and they should apologize and they should pay up, that just creates angst. It's silent because no one wants to speak up. It's silent, but it creates division. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. And let me tell you right now, it's, Brian, it's the heart and soul of the Democratic playbook, asking people to repent for their whiteness, to repent for their God-given national origin, ethnicity. It is, a, it is used politically, and the Democrats constantly play that card. It's what drove me away from the Democratic Party. And for the first time in my life, I voted for re, uh, a Republican yep. president and proud of it. And I'm telling you, the Democrats are worried about that because more people of color voted for President Trump than ever before because they're seeing the game. They're seeing the game that the Democrats are playing, and it's offensive, and that playbook has been outdated almost 30 to 40 years. Leo Terrell, always great talking to you. Uh, Fascinating time uh, because, again— Uh, We're dealing with executive orders. Nothing's deliberated. Nothing's explained. We're just both told to live with it. Uh, And that's not going to fly here. Thanks, Leo. Thank you, Brian. You got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I want to find out what it's like in the oil and gas business. How do you feel now? And it's not can't be good. The drilling's got to stop on public lands. The leasing's got to stop on public lands. The the pipeline's going to stop. That it's already been uh, paid for, steel bought here. Now we'll find out in 24 hours they are out of a job. What's that like? Dan Eberhardt will be joining us shortly, CEO of Canary LLC, a a Colorado-based drilling service company. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. You're next. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com slash path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com slash path. 
breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. With executive orders, it seems to be limitless, right? And at this point, that's that's kind of all he's got. The, the challenge he's got now is can the bureaucracy keep up with his ambitions? So, you know, things like a million and a half vaccines a day, for example. I don't know. I, I wish him well. I sure hope it. You know, I'd like, love to see that happen. So, um, but in terms of the other... The other big things, I guess, signing the executive order is the easy part. You know, facilitating some of that stuff will take some time. Yeah, but just stopping things, Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, is easy, too. Just stopping uh, deporting people who come across illegal, including uh, sexual predators and murderers. Just stopping the XL pipeline is easy. Just stopping building the wall is easy, and that's what he's doing. The other stuff about racial equity, I don't even know the program. I don't even know what I'm looking for. So I watched two press coverage yesterday. I have no idea what he's talking about, except that America has got problems and is letting down our founding fathers, or our founding fathers is wrong, and our Constitution is ina- inadequate for today's challenges. Tim, with you on KFNX in Arizona. Hey, Tim. Hey, Brian. Good morning. How are you? What's on your mind? How are you? Hey, sir. Um, I, listen, I, I just wanted to say I, I'm I was I'm living in my vehicle. Uh, I, I was living in my vehicle by choice. Now I'm living in my truck by necessity. I'm I'm a veteran. I was in Iraq twice, um, and I just want to say, you know, how much trouble I've had with the, the, the bureaucracy of the VA and, and, and government, you know, in general. And, you know, for example, like I, I had a, a start, uh, they, they tell you to go to an office for help. And, and, and then uh, first you have to register in an, another office across town. And, and you know, uh, how you show up in an, if they close it for you, show up at 350 and they're gone. Or um, So, Tim, how, anyways, what, are you, but, what are you looking to do? Are you okay to work or did you come – uh, did you come back ready to go and just can't find a job? Uh, I, I was employed for for a while um, when coronavirus hit. Uh, I'm in construction. I'm actually a, a crane operator. Um, and then coronavirus hit. Um, I was working. I got laid off. Um, and then, I mean, that's really how it happened. I mean, do you, uh, you in a union? Uh, I, I was. Uh, I was laid off, and then I started working for a for a non-union company, um, and then I got laid off there too. To be honest, um, the unions are helpful, but you know when there's no work, I mean there's no work. Yeah, I mean, but but they're building a ton of things in New York, even though they got no money. But evidently, the construction's gone crazy uh, here in California, believe it or not, in Texas, and I'm sure Florida, that might be the uh, the next best bet. But um, Hang in there, Tim. Uh, and I did hear the VA got better, but maybe not good enough in your case. Scott, listen, W-Y-O-O over in Florida. Hey, Scott. Hey, Brian. How are you this morning? Good. What's on your mind? Well, I'm listening to your show, and, and they're talking about housing. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. And yeah. racism and all that. And it occurs to me that that's exactly what caused the housing bubble and the downfall of our yep. market when it all blew up in the first place. You remember they said whoever applies for a loan gets a loan, and how dare you say yeah. no? And Bill Clinton told the banks to say yes. And then when Bill Clinton's out of office, George Bush didn't stop it because it seemed to be going so well. But when it was time mm-hmm. to pay those payments, 
They couldn't do it, and the whole mortgage industry collapsed. I was serving the military in California at you know the height of all that, not before the crash, but during all that. And I couldn't buy a home in California. I was looking at a one-bedroom, really a shanty. They called it a classic home. But it was a one-bedroom, one-booth house, one-bath house with me and my three children, the single father, my wife had passed away. And I tell you, I couldn't afford it. It was almost half a million dollars. I know. Listen, I, I tried to live out there. I hear you, Scott. I'm, I'm wondering the details of this program. Are they going to be affordable? And is that is that the best way to to foment racial harmony? Uh, doesn't seem to be. What about the loss of jobs? Talk to somebody yet. Next. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I don't know what I'm going to do right now. It's, It's tough. But I'm aggravated, uh, you know, for the president to sit up there and tell the American public that he canceled this project because of climate reasons. Just it simply isn't true. This oil is already coming into the country. This pipeline wasn't going to be the start of it. It's coming by rail cars every single day, hundreds, thousands of them. And it only makes sense. A, a, A pipeline can do this safer. Common sense tells you that. A common sense says we don't need to be putting American workers out of a job right now. Uh, common sense says this pipeline needs to be built, but com- common sense seems to be lacking in uh, some of the early days of the decisions of this new administration. Neil Crabtree worked on the XL pipeline, found out a few days ago he's out of a job, not happy and willing to talk about it. A human face behind the politics. Dan Eberhardt, another human face, CEO of Canary LLC, a Denver-based, Colorado-based drilling services comp- country, uh, company, managing partner of Eberhardt Capital. Dan, it's been a pretty devastating week for you between the pipeline being shut down, no drilling on federal land. What's it like? Uh, I mean, this, this feels like constant whiplash in the, in the wrong direction. You know, th- this is both a, a policy problem and, and a, a jobs problem for me. And in addition, I think this is just going to drive up the cost for consumers. So I, I mean, I, I don't know if this is what voters wanted or not, but I think this administration is really uh, setting out to, to weigh down the economy and weigh down the, the oil and gas industry specifically. So where, what does it do to your company? What do you guys do and how does this affect you? Well, the, the Keystone Pipeline is going to take oil from Canada and North Dakota to the Gulf Coast refineries. Uh, you know, and so this is this is going to make that more expensive, which is going to make folks in North Dakota where we operate the most uh, less likely or, or less able to drill. Also, the drilling on federal lands uh, moratorium is really going to hurt us in North Dakota, too. About 25 percent of drilling happens on federal lands, about 75 percent on private lands. And so this is really going to facilitate um, a, a quieting of the amount of, of activity we have going on. So we're uh, unfortunately, I think we're going to either um, have less people or, mm-hmm. you know, have to reduce folks hours. And this is, you know, this is obviously not what we want to do at all. Has demand in America slowed down for oil and gas? Yes, I mean last year. Last year was because you know, of the pandemic for our industry. Yeah, it was bad because the consumer demand wasn't there because we weren't working, we weren't flying, right? 
yeah, we weren't we weren't flying and, and we we were barely driving for three months. So um, yeah, last year was a tough year for us, and we we had to lay off quite a number of people and really tighten our belt a couple of times. Which and to see this administration be so anti oil and gas is just devastating. So here's John Hoffmeister, former CEO of Shell Oil. He talked about it. The Keystone cancellation makes no sense for the future good of the American people. It's a very short-sighted because we're going to continue to need infrastructure. Even if we don't use gasoline at some point, we still need petroleum for so many other applications, including jet fuel and, and including, you know, heavy freight. And, and, and just like I said before, the, uh, the, the petrochemical industry. So oil's not going away. Anyone that thinks it is certainly doesn't understand how the economy works and how science works. We're in for a number of years of struggle while we also work on the next set of alternatives. Weren't we producing almost more oil and gas than anybody else? And didn't fracking give us the freedom that everyone told us was impossible in the 70s and 80s? Yeah, fr- fracking has really been instrumental. And, you know, we couldn't have done things like the, the Iran deal, push on Russia with sanctions, you know, be able to, to um, you know, be assertive and aggressive with Saudi Arabia when we want to. These are foreign policy things that we can do because we have energy security in the U.S. And we also have more, you know, more jobs and more of the industry in the U.S. too because of fracking. So, uh, you know, I always thought it was an applause line in the in a Democratic primary, but not something that would make a lot of sense you know, to consumers in terms of, of not wanting the, the price of energy to go up. But it, it seems this administration is really doesn't seem to care about, you know, what the cost to consumers for energy is. And your fear is this isn't the last thing they're going to cancel. What do you worry about now? Well, I, I mean, there's there's been an awful lot of shoes that dropped. And so we've been analyzing that, you know, pretty, pretty nonstop here. But at Canary, but, you know, my worry is how far are they going to go? I, I think a lot of these temporary moratoriums are going to be in place for most of the um, the Biden administration, you know, however long that is, four years or eight years. But to, to me, they they need to slow down and think about the effect on consumers and the effect on jobs in places like Pennsylvania, North Dakota and Texas. And they, they just don't seem to care, frankly. It, it doesn't. It does seem like that. And it seems like they don't care about the Canadian relations. Or do you feel as though the liberal wing that Justin Trudeau heads up is happy about it? Oh, I don't I don't think they're happy at all. And, and look, the net effect is. They, you know, they're building a pipeline that goes uh, uh, to the to the Pacific Ocean somewhere around Vancouver. That comes out somewhere around Vancouver, and so they are pushing oil and gas uh, to China, away from the U.S. where it logically should go. It, it would be better for the U.S. and better for Canada to sell that oil to the U.S., not to China. And th- this this policy is completely inept and doesn't make any kind of sense to me. It's just about making the environmentalists happy, even over the expense of the unions. The unions want this pipeline. Um, and a lot of the unions have come out you know, really strongly against Biden now um, that, that supported him in the primary. So I, 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 I'm, I'm befuddled as to why they're doing this virtue signaling that it negatively impacts consumers and jobs. It's amazing, too. Uh, a couple of things that I think is important to keep in mind. Trump greenlighted this. Why were there so many delays? Why were there so many protests? Why didn't they get this done in four years? No, I, I definitely would have liked to have seen it done. I mean, this, this thing was studied for 10 years. It's absolutely needed. This, this is, is something that is going to, you know, we don't, if we don't have the pipeline, where is the oil? The oil largely goes out on rail 
and it pushes other things on rail off to truck. So it drives costs up. You know, the chairs at Home Depot and the, the grapes in the grocery store, the cost for these things go up because the, the oil crowds them out off of the rail cars. So to me, this has got, you know, negative effects all the way through our, our supply chain. And we, we really should have got it done. And, man, I, I, I wish right now we would have for sure. And in terms of jobs, do you have a ballpark on how people are going to be affected? They keep saying 11,000 XL pipeline jobs. Bring us through the system. How many people are affected? Well, well, I think in, in terms of the pipeline, I, mean, I, I think this is, you know, in, in the neighborhood of 800,000 um, short-term jobs to build the pipeline and something, you know, in the 10 to 20,000 jobs to maintain the pipeline, um, um, you know, once it's, once it's up and going. And, and all of this feeds refineries that are going to get less feedstock because that oil is now going to be going to, to Canada, too. So I think that this has got a, a major negative jobs uh, impact across the country, really. And again, I, I just think this seems very short-sighted. Oh, wow. So it's going to affect you guys, uh, definitely an investment as well. Dan Eberhard, thanks so much. Uh, thank you for having me on. All right. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'll come back with your calls, find out if there's indeed more to know. Really disturbing. We have not talked about the impeachment. Only a handful of Republicans think this is even constitutional. It is not going to affect the president who's out of a job right now. When are people going to understand that Donald Trump only gets stronger with each one of these victories and it makes him more, I believe, of a power player on the in the big picture with Republicans. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I want the Democrats to raise their hands if they have ever given a speech that says, take back, fight for your country. Who hasn't used the words fight figuratively? And are we going to put every politician in jail? Are we going to impeach every politician who has used the words fight figuratively in a speech? Shame. Shame on these angry, unhinged partisans who are putting forth this sham impeachment, deranged by their hatred of the former president. And that's why they're going to go ahead with impeachment, I think, the first week in February. So we're going to have a big delay. We're going to relive the uh, Donald Trump final week. And we're going to realize we almost know nothing about the organization behind that raid. And they got to really put it out. That's the Republican fight with his legal team. Everybody who makes a speech that gets people fired up, if that person, man or woman, goes out and commits a crime, are you going to go back to the speaker and blame and charge them? That's going to be the key. And I was shocked to see outside Ben Sass, Mitt Romney, Pat Toomey, and I think Lisa Murkowski, nobody else voted to say that this was constitutional. Chuck Schumer feels differently. Cut 32. The theory that the impeachment of a former official is unconstitutional is flat out wrong by every frame of analysis. Constitutional context, historical practice, precedent, and basic common sense. It's been completely debunked by constitutional scholars from all across the political spectrum. 
That's not true. There's a huge pushback that this, it's, it's not possible to say it's constitutional to oust somebody who's gone already. What they want to do, they are scared of Donald Trump. I don't know why. They should love having Donald Trump. He's so controversial, unorthodox. They feel they can run against him. Joe Biden has the worst policies possible for an economy during a pandemic, barely ran and won. Why wouldn't they feel confident that somebody else can run against him and be successful? Well, Axios did a political consult poll, and they see 56% of Republicans say that Donald Trump should run in 2024. And by the way, he has got 85 to 90 percent approval amongst Republicans, despite all this controversy. Senator Lindsey Graham, on this big push to impeach a president who golfs now, cut 33. Why are they doing this? They're afraid. I think Democratic senators are afraid of the left wing of their party, that if they don't give some credibility to this trial that started in the House, they're in trouble. And Joe Biden's been a huge disappointment thus far, not only on policy, but on the idea that I'm going to bring the country together. How easy would it be, Sean, for Joe Biden to say it is bad to impeach a president after they leave office? Uh, Enough already with Donald Trump. Let's look forward. And you know what Marco Rubio said? It's about getting clicks. They, they want to keep him front and center to maybe mask what they're doing. And maybe Joe Biden takes that week or two off and says, I think I'm just going to sign some executive orders. I might not even call a press conference. Could happen. I, I can't believe we're actually they're actually going through with it, especially yesterday. So who else did I miss? So, OK, but five Republicans said it was didn't even say he was guilty, but said they were asked, is it constitutional to try a president that's not in office? Only Collins, Murkowski, Romney, Sass, Toomey said joint Democrats to table the point of order. But it shouldn't. It was a good move by Rand Paul. Remember, he was arch rivals with President Trump. They said he was incompetent. And then they ended up really hitting it off personally and professionally. Marco Rubio was with me this morning on Fox and Friends, was with Neil yesterday, cut 35. It's not even constitutional. It's logic tells you that, okay? The automatic consequence of, of impeachment and trial. If you're convicted, the automatic consequence of it is you're removed from office. That's the automatic consequence of this process. How can you put someone through a process where the automatic consequence of it is impossible? You can't remove Donald Trump from office. He's not in office. Absolutely true. one 408 Eric, WOKV in Jacksonville. Eric. Hey, hey Brian. Uh, just to jump on what you were saying, if, if this is constitutional, how come Chief Justice Roberts isn't going to sit in and preside over it? Even he doesn't want nothing to do with it. Uh, the main reason I'm calling is, uh, like, your, like your, your former guest was so right, um, trains can't even come close to pumping what a pipeline will. But I think this is all part of the – it's just revenge. Uh, North Dakota is very red with a very vocal uh, COVID-successful governor. Just like here in Florida, they're out to get Ron DeSantis. They're already criticizing he's not giving out any more vaccines. Well, he has to save them for round two. Why give out all one million for the first dose? And then they're useless because there's no second dose. So if you're a Republican, you're getting reprogrammed. How Nazi is that? Unbelievable. Take on all this. Uh, Eric, a couple of things. And uh, thanks for the call. Uh, Governor DeSantis is going by, by what the FDA greenlighted the vaccine for, the way I understand it. Uh, the reason why the FDA takes so long, they got to study it. I think they could pick up the pace, but they did. And they said, you know, one shot of Moderna, one shot of 
Pfizer, not good enough. You got about 80% effect, uh, effectiveness. So you need that second shot within three weeks. That's why they got approved. So if you start mixing Moderna with Pfizer, that's different than they studied. If you start just giving one shot whenever you get around to getting the second shot, that's not the way they studied it. And, and the way the FDA works, if you start abusing the system that they greenlighted, that could be problematic, especially if someone gets ill when you broke the guidelines that was giving the, that gave the green light to the FDA. So that's what I think um, uh, about what Florida's doing. They're vaccinating everything they can. Now, about what Joe Biden's doing in terms of jobs, a letter was sent uh, by House Republicans opposing this 60-day federal, uh, federal drilling ban. They said the near-term near loss of approximately 1 million jobs, that's what happens. A decrease of U.S. gross project, uh, product by $700 billion. A loss of one of the most significant sources of federal revenue during a time of record federal deficits. Remember that. The net, incre the net increase of crude oil imports by 2 million barrels per day is now off. This weakens U.S. energy and national security, increasing our trade deficit and energy dependence on foreign countries. Having said all that, He's still going ahead with it, and he's proud of it, and he's getting very little blowback because of it. But until your neighbor is one of those people or a family member, you think that it's no big deal, and it's not really going to hit you. Scott listening in, uh, in Louisville, North Carolina. Okay, hold it. I'll hold off on that one. Um, but he was, uh, he's going to be, he's talking about the impeachment thing. I'm also talking about the censorship thing. Did you see what Twitter is doing now? Uh, they're doing a, a, a essentially it's Wikipedia where you this bird watch thing. If you're a member, it's got it's a pilot program. If you're a member of Twitter and you want to maybe comment on people like my tweets or your tweets and say they're inaccurate, you can actually weigh in. It reminds me of Wikipedia. You can start building on what you see. It's a way of Twitter to say, I, I'm going to censor, but I want to censor all the time. I'm going to let you guys police you guys. I'm not sure that's going to work. I'm not sure the whole. Shut down America for saying things. If you work for Trump, don't expect to get hired. I am not sure that's going to work in, in this America. But uh, Britt Hume was on Tucker last night, Cut 39. Well, what's most distressing to me, Tucker, about this period are, are all kinds of crackdowns on speech and different news organizations and so forth is the extent to which journalists themselves are now participating in it. We're hearing this from a number of journalistic quarters. It astounds me, frankly, because I don't know that there's any chance that these efforts to shut down this channel and various other outlets will succeed. I suspect uh, they may not. However, it is alarming, and it suggests to me, Tucker, that the people who are calling for this stuff don't really understand the basis of our concept of free speech, which is that people are better informed by hearing a wide range of voices and tolerating them, and that the answer to objectionable speech is not censorship. It is more speech. And then he went on to quote Jefferson, one 408 So they're trying to shut down Josh Hawley. They took his book deal away. They're trying to say those 100-plus lawmakers that came out and were not willing to sign off on the Electoral College in January 6th, now we have corporations saying we will not support you and we will not support the RNC if they give some money to you. That's a way of shutting down free speech. Did they do that to Barbara Boxer? Did they do it to uh, uh, Jackson Lee? No, they didn't. Thanks so much for listening. Go to BrianKilmeadShow.com. Listen anytime, anywhere. 
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Joe Lieberman sitting on by, the former Connecticut uh, senator, will be with us shortly. And then Gerard Baker from the Wall Street Journal uh, here as well. Uh, we have a lot going on. We're going to be covering the latest signings of the uh, of the Biden administration when it comes to what's happening. We know that 37 executive orders have already been signed, but they stopped recording them uh, on the 21st. We're at the 25th now. So, I mean, what else is going on? Uh, and before we get to Joe Liebman, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This impeachment is nothing more than a partisan exercise designed to further divide the country. Democrats claim to want to unify the country, but impeaching a former president is the antithesis of unity. I would think that Rand Paul put that up for a vote, and it looks as though this impeachment is a colossal waste of time. Still trying to oust Trump. What are they afraid of? Pure politics and theater. I'm not saying he should have had the speech. I'm not saying that he shouldn't have uh, uh, protested like he did, but I'm saying it's not impeachable for a guy that's golfing. Number two. I don't think unions are overruling studies. I think what you're seeing is the schools that haven't made the investments to keep the students safe. Uh, that is Ron Klain. Open up the schools and the lockdown. Cycle the vaccine. This is almost all we should be doing now in this country before it's too late for the kids, seniors, as well as businesses. Why is it so hard to understand? Biden's haphazard mixed message disconcerting. Number one. I'm rescinded the previous administration's harmful ban on diversity and sensitivity training and abolish the offensive counterfactual 1776 commission. And the simple truth is our soul will be troubled as long as systemic racism is allowed to persist. Thanks. I didn't I knew there was something with my soul, but now I'd be troubled. War on jobs in the name of party politics. Joe Biden's focus on being woefully woke ignores the pandemic's economic struggles and continues to attack oil, gas, drillers and costing us billions and making America less secure, let alone what he's doing on immigration. Sadly, it looks like the worst is yet to come. Uh, joining us now, a guy that might want to challenge me on that, and that's Senator uh, Joe Lieberman. Senator Lieberman, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, Brian, good to be back with you. I, I was going to congratulate you, if I may skip uh, media locations, on your being chosen for the rotation at 7 p.m. Yeah, and by the I way, thinking, I, yeah, when I get back there, I'm, I'm making so I don't have to get you up early. I'm definitely going to ask you to join me. <laughs> Let alone when we get in yeah, studio again. I was thinking again. when you make a rotation, it's like you're a major league pitcher, you know, and you've made it into the rotation. So, so there you go. So, uh, Senator, thanks. I, I I remember when Joe when George Bush came to office, he wanted to be an education president, and the first thing yeah. he wanted to do was revamp immigration. He wanted to update it, and then nine eleven happened. He had to change. Now Joe Biden doesn't have to worry about a crisis hitting him. He's not expecting. He took one on. Why do you right. think this green energy push through executive orders that's going to cost jobs, at the very least in the short run, is a priority for him? Yeah. So, um, I mean, there's two issues you talked about. One, one incidentally, um, generally speaking, uh, uh, certainly uh, going back to uh, President Bush 43, 
uh, through Obama and then uh, President Trump, you tend to accomplish uh, big things early in your term. Yeah. That's not going to be easy for him because even though he's got Democratic majorities, both houses, it's really close. So um, uh, I can tell you I was there in 2009. Uh, Obama wanted to do uh, uh, health care first, uh, Obamacare, but he had to deal with the uh, Great Recession, and, and that uh, took a lot of effort, and it was harder to get health care done. So you got to be careful what you do. Clint, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself, but Clinton got sidetracked early on with uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which really um, uh, confused things for him at the beginning and, and hurt his first couple of years. Anyway, some of these proposals, I think, I, I'm sure all of them President Biden believes in, some of them, he's just uh, planting a flag because it's going to be hard to do. Now, I, I'd say that uh, some of the regulations on a energy or that deal with uh, climate change, he really does believe in. And so uh, he got elected, and that's what he's going to do. They'll be challenged. Of course, some of them will see what happens. Immigration, I mean, he put in a very broad bill. There is some record of bipartisan support for some kinds of immigration reform. And my guess is if anything happens uh, on immigration this year, it'll be a piece of what uh, what was in the in the Biden bill. But really, he's got to focus on COVID-19 on, uh, and on the economy. I mean, that's 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 the big deal. And, and the rest of it is commentary, really side commentary. Uh, I know, but it's really affecting jobs. I mean, I have people on here that were working on the pipeline. I have people on yeah. here that we just had a drilling company on. They got stopped in their tracks. And you know when it comes to fracking and natural gas, you know that, you know that burns clean. Why would you do something that, that you know is going to cost jobs with unemployment at 7%? Well, look, I mean, we, we can argue about it, and there should be argument about it. Um, if, um, first of all, we probably have the government has a responsibility if it takes action, I always felt, that puts people out of work to give those people some uh, subsidy training, uh, et cetera. But on the question of natural gas, and of course things have moved a lot since I left office yep. in uh, 2012, but going to natural gas uh, was a big deal and a real improvement in terms of air pollution over coal. So, And I think it still is. So, uh, and, and frankly, it will continue to be a major factor in our energy supply. So we've got to be careful about it. I mean, you know that with this extraordinary technological breakthrough of, that we call fracking, um, we've become um, self-sufficient in energy for the first time in a long time. And uh, it, it's a national security interest while we're dealing with climate change, which I believe we, we should, that we not, <clears throat> excuse me, lose that advantage. So hopefully there's some balance. But, you know, the, the, I wish this is another case where it's always better to legislate changes, both because it tends to happen in the center with a compromise, instead of issuing regulations which tend to not be in the center and <clears throat> subject to change uh, by the next administration. They're not permanent. So I, I hope he'll come back and put in, instead of regulations, a proposal uh, legislatively to do some of the things he wants to do on energy, and let's see if he can build a bipartisan majority. That's what he's proven himself good at in his days in the Senate. Did Senator Joe Lieberman vote for the Secure Fence Act? 
Uh, probably did. I'm gonna see. I've got to. I got to remember whether I was there because I left at the end of 2012. But I always supported border security, and because it's right, and uh, I always because borders have yeah. to mean something. And not, I mean, I'm a big supporter of immigration, but you can't have open borders. It just doesn't work. So and it, uh, I always felt that as part of a, a immigration reform, you got to have border security and some reform. Look, President Trump did a lot <clears throat> on border security. Probably still more we can do, but uh, the border is more secure today than right. it was uh, in 2016. And we know that anybody who crosses uh, for 100 days, they can't be deported, whether they're a murderer or a sexual predator. Uh, and the yeah. courts reversed that for two weeks. So you know this dance center. The Republicans yeah. want border security like Reagan did. He said, if you right. secure the border, I'll give you amnesty. He gave them amnesty. The border never got secured. So now there's this distrust. So all of a sudden, Donald Trump comes along and finds a way to fund uh, 450 miles of border, and they have money for 350 more. They already made the wall. So right. this is an opportunity, isn't it, to say to Republicans, Mitch McConnell, I'm going to finish off your wall, add a billion dollars a year, and I'll add a few more hundred miles. 1,400 completes it. You're going to have 800 paid for by the time I'm done. And by the time I'm done actually paying for a new wall, you'll have close to 1,000 miles. Having said that, now you turn around and you, you get me amnesty and certain uh, a pathway for these DACA uh, kids who are now right. young adults. You know, we could, you know that there would be cover for both parties on that. Why does Joe Biden, who used to, who's done this longer than you have, why does right. he not see this as an opportunity? Well, you know what? First of all, I think it's a great idea. It is a classic bipartisan agreement in the center. Really, the, the, the way that we've generally gotten big things done in our country is compromise. You don't get 100 percent, but you get 50, 60, 70 yeah. percent of what you want. And that's the way you do it. And that compromise, finish the border security and have some kind of legal path for people here, uh, and maybe even want to do some other uh, immigration reform things about talented people coming into the country, Absolutely. et cetera, et cetera. H-1B visas, which are important, agricultural workers, temporary, important. Uh, I think uh, that your proposal, we shall now call it the Kill Me proposal, yep. is exactly what a compromise on immigration reform will look like, and it can get enacted. But the question is whether the, the Biden administration and, and the Republicans and Democrats in Congress, Democrats will want more than that or, or less on security, can get together and get something done. I hope so. I mean, not, not so long ago, uh, there was a bipartisan majority that passed an immigration reform bill, somewhat like that, not exactly, because uh, now we've had the four years of Trump and increase in the wall. Uh, uh, a while back, and uh, you know, people who were involved in it, like Lindsey Graham, are still there. So he could play a role, a leading role in this, in exactly the proposal that you made. You you ought to go down there and offer your services as a mediator, Brian. Eric and Pete, do you think if I went down there, could we play a repeat <laughs> tomorrow? If I went down to Washington, all right, because <laughs> I don't know, can I take a train or a plane? Am I allowed? It's hard <laughs> to even know, know how to travel these days. Yeah, I don't know. Your your immigration status from going from New York to Washington may be in doubt. I don't, I don't know. You know what? You're not even kidding anymore. I mean, if I go in back and forth to Florida, that's a problem because of the rivalries between the governors. So, Senator uh, Liebman, yeah. a broad question, but it has yeah. everything to do with yesterday. Race relations okay. in this country today. Where do you think we're at? 
how would Senator Joe Lieberman, who ran for president and, and, and vice president, how would you uh, adequately and effectively act on race in America today? Because I heard the, pre- uh, the president's plan, yeah. and I don't have any idea what he's doing. Uh, so, tell me, uh, what, look, what do you think? Uh, you know, obviously our history with African Americans is is one of the worst parts of our history slavery and then segregation yep but uh the the segregation laws were taken off there still is uh discrimination there still is a sort of suffering but look around the the advance of a lot of African Americans to positions in uh business and professions politics i mean we had an African American president. We have an African-American vice president now. So thank God there's been a progress. I tell you, it, uh, and this goes back to what you said about President Bush, because I worked with him on this uh, No Child Left Behind education yeah. reform. The key is to uh, provide equal educational opportunity yes. to uh, uh, kids of, all, of lower income, a lot of whom are African-American. That's the way uh, up in American society. Now, we should constantly be on guard for anything that really looks like unfair treatment of yeah. people based on the color of their skin. That's not America. But um, why we do that, uh, we, we got the most concrete thing I think we could do to improve uh, the uh, African American citizens uh, is to improve the quality of education that their children are receiving. Here is uh, Susan Rice yesterday. Tell me if this fits that criteria. Cut four. The evidence is clear. Investing in equity is good for economic growth, and it creates jobs for all Americans. Economists have estimated that the U.S. economy has lost a staggering $16 trillion over the last 20 years because of discrimination against families of color. If we closed racial gaps in income and opportunity, these same economists have estimated we could add $5 trillion to the U.S. economy over the next five years. Okay. The little, $5 trillion would be the most, amazing, uh, <laughs> the most amazing program in the history of the planet. So yeah, I, I, I would I like to see some details. The numbers, but, you know, I like that approach, uh, uh, it's true. Incidentally, the uh, African-American community is adding a lot to the economy uh, right now. And, uh, you know, you can see it in a way in the commercials we see on television, the number of African. It, it used to be a rarity to see an African-American in a, in a commercial. Not not anymore. And, and that's a now why do I say that? Because it means that the businesses that are trying to sell their products are also trying to sell to African-Americans, and they, they also think it's, uh, it maybe helps them with white people to do that uh, as well. But, yeah, and I go back to what I just said, Brian. If, if, we're, uh, if we're really providing equal educational opportunity to African-American children and they grow up to be able to be yep. um, college uh, graduates, uh, professional schools, go on to do what they do, um, you know, that's uh, that's got to be value added for our economy and, of course, for our country. So I, I, I don't mind that. I think that argument is a, an interesting one and a, right. and a productive one. I hope well, it works. All opportunity- the numbers are probably a little bit uh, <laughs> irrationally exuberant, as Alan Greenspan used to say, but uh, it, it'll, it'll pay off for us, really. Let's hope. Uh, let's hope when we get details on how they actually plan on doing it. Uh, because we yes, want equal sir. opportunities, but we can't have the equal outcomes. We just want to go compete on all levels. Debate now what your goals are, where you're at, what you want to do. 
Uh, but when we start telling everyone how it's going to end up, I think that's a problem, uh, yeah, personally. No, it's, it's, the country's about opportunity. Uh, yeah. And uh, that means uh, uh, prohibiting and stamping out discrimination. Uh, that's, that's a different thing than guaranteeing an outcome. Uh, you yeah. got to move the, the barriers away and uh, open the doors for everybody equally in our country. And uh, that's, that's what we've always done over the centuries of our existence. And uh, hopefully in this journey of the American experiment, we'll continue to do it for more and more people, and all of us will benefit. And, uh, and we didn't touch on your column, but it's great. You and Tom Ridge wrote a column, How America Can End the Threat of Future Pandemics by 2030. Uh, that's in USA Today today, so pick it up. Senator Joe Liebman, uh, always great. Thank you, my friend. Be well. Talk to you soon. All right, absolutely. one 408 7669 From New York, heard around the country, heard around the world, this is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Joe Biden's been a huge disappointment thus far, not only on policy, but on the idea that I'm going to bring the country together. Yeah, I, it, it has been, and he's known him forever, even though they're probably not uh, getting along great now. Scott, listening to Louisville, North Carolina. Hey, Scott. Hey, Brian, thanks for taking the call. Just had a quick question here about uh, impeachment. Just kind of trying to think through this rationally. If... Nixon was impeached and he, well, he wasn't impeached, but he left office to avoid impeachment. And that effectively ended the proceedings against him. So him being the only president to be removed or not or to leave office, um, you know, he and Trump were both out of office and the proceedings effectively ended against him. So the difference today in 74, is it just more vindictive Democrats or when I hear Schumer say, there's precedent involved. Where's the precedent? Yeah, I, I said there is no precedent. They have some senators that went back there, and the guy was exonerated anyway. So there is no precedent for doing this. This is pure vindictiveness. They are scared to death that Donald Trump's coming back again. They can't handle him. They don't know how to figure him out. He was very, very effective. But in some ways, he got in his own way. If he straightens that stuff out, he might be unstoppable unless they can impeach him, pass a resolution to prevent him from coming back. That's what they're worried about. It pinned clear to me yesterday after that vote. one 408 Gerard Baker next. Wall Street Journal. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm rescinding the previous administration's harmful ban on diversity and sensitivity training and abolish the offensive counterfactual 1776 commission. Unity and healing must begin with understanding and truth. 
not ignorance and lies. And the simple truth is, our soul will be troubled as long as systemic racism is allowed to persist. Right. My soul be troubled. Uh, Gerard Baker knows all about a troubled soul. He wrote about it in The Wall Street Journal. America, it's time for unity or else. Yes, we have to realize how bad we are and quickly acquiesce. Your sarcastic column really resonated with me, Gerard. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Brian. Do you feel better having heard Joe Biden tell you how bad you were? <laughs> you know, it is the whole Biden uh, message of unity is a little reminiscent to me of that old joke about, you know, the beating, the beatings will continue until morale improves. Uh, you know, it, it's like, you, you know, you, you will be unified uh, or else you need to come together on our terms. You need to do everything that we're telling you to do. And that's the way to bring the country together. It's not. Look, uh, Biden won the election. The Democrats are in control of Congress. Of course, they can do what they want. But they have to acknowledge the fact that 75 million people voted for Donald Trump. Many, many of them still feel uh, the election was not properly conducted. He can't pursue uh, the election, the the post-election. He can't pursue his administration as though he has a mandate to radically change the country. He doesn't. And if he presses ahead with this, with all of these things that he's done to these executive orders and all this plans for legislation and everything else, it's just going to make the country more divided. It's not going to unite the country. And let's go over some of the things he did. First thing, why is this a priority? Making sure transgender individuals can compete if you're a man and want to be a woman you can go play sports with women against women yeah exactly look this what what he's laid out in his first week i mean it's been a remarkable first week number of ex- executive orders we've seen look all presidents come in they they, they uh, sign all executive orders yeah. and reverse the policies of their predecessors we get that but the scale and the scope of these brian are extraordinary the transgender one is a really good example what they're doing is they're pushing forward a very 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 left-wing progressive agenda that asserts that identity is the most important issue which by the way itself is an absolute immediate fast route to disunity uh, and to division in the country if you tell everybody that you're going to be defined by what you look like or what your sexual preference is or sexual orientation is or what your you know your preferred gender is that is not the way to unite but they've he signed on completely to this progressive agenda you know born of this critical theory out of universities in the 1980s 1990s and so forth which now dominates left-wing thinking uh, and it's as you say on, on the transgender issue it's basically saying um, you know that, that, that anybody who de- that, that your your gender is determined by your preference. So if you are a man who decides, you know, he wants to be, uh, he wants yeah. to become a woman, uh, wants to identify as a woman. By the way, doesn't even have to go. We're not talking here, obviously, here about about transsexuals or people who go through transitions. We're talking about someone who just says, "Look, my, this is this is how I feel. I feel I'm a woman. You're, you, you must you must have all your rights acknowledged." This is an imposition by the government into people's lives that is just completely. You know, it's telling people, it's telling women, you've got to share bathrooms with men. It's telling uh, girls in high schools, uh, sports, you've got to compete alongside boy, you know, boys who are much more uh, athletic, much, 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 you know, stronger physically as they just uh, g- genetically are. It's 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 imposing an ideology and uh, a way of life on people that is going to make life much, much, much more divisive in this country and is going to make people much, much, le- much less inclined to work with each other and to he- and to, to heal the divisions in the country. Right. Uh, but don't worry. Susan Rice is there, director of domestic policy with an expertise in foreign policy. Uh, cut to. As President Biden said today, he believes 
and and most religions teach us that you know we have to look out for one another and that we believe that most democrats republicans and independents believe that you know we are all human beings of equal dignity and equal worth and we have to respect that but it's a bit rich frankly for republicans to suggest that by trying to lift up everybody we are dividing america uh yeah it's the way they do it it's not the words they're talking it equity so exactly <laughs> i'm not even sure what that yeah. means well, I can tell you a little bit what it means, Brian, and you know, you know, you know what it means. You've, you've, you've talked about this uh, yourself on your show. This is a very, very, very uh, revolutionary uh, and very important thing that they're doing. And you're, you're absolutely right. The words that what 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 uh, Susan Rice said that just you heard her say just there sounded, of course. Look, America was founded on the principle of equality. Everybody believes in equality of opportunity. Of course, they do. And whether you're, you know, whatever your race or your gender or your sexual orientation or whatever, of course, you should have equality of opportunity. Nobody disputes that. Equity. Which is what the word, the favoured word, is now on the left among progressives, is different. Equity means equality of outcome. It means, in other words, it, 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 and if you read that document that, that that Biden signed last week on on racial equity and the importance of promoting racial equity in the country, it's very striking because what it seems to do, what it says essentially, is that any kind of form of inequality in the country is primarily primarily the the the, uh, the, the, the fault of uh, prejudice and discrimination and oppression, um, not you know chance or opportunity or talent or anything like that. So what it's saying is, you know, we we are going to ensure not just that whether you're black or white or gay or straight or whatever, you've got the opportunity to have a great job or have great education and to, or yeah. all the things that you want to do in life. We're going to ensure that you actually end up with the same. Outcome, the same, you know, broadly the same income levels, broadly the same kind of jobs that, that other people have, irrespective of whether or not you deserve it. I mean, the issue of deserving, uh, Brian, is a really important one. Some people are more talented than others. Some people work harder than others. Some people are luckier than others. That's, you know, frankly, just the way life is and has been for hundreds of thousands of years. This administration with this document is officially committed to reversing all of that and saying, no, 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 it's not about talent and um, desserts and luck. It's about actually ensuring that everybody comes out the same. That's a really, really dangerous doctrine, which, again, is not the route to unify the country. It's not the route, and he has no interest in doing it besides saying it. And I give you proof of that. Why would you be pro- pro- pushing for green jobs and killing oil and gas jobs in the middle of a pandemic with unemployment at 6.7% with negative GDP, trying desperately to get small businesses to survive another month or two? How does this make sense in anybody's rational thinking? Complete. It's it's. Pure ideology, Brian. It's exactly, exactly right. Look, you know, we can have a discussion about in the long run, is it better to promote greener energy? Yeah, it probably is. And there should be ways. But but the, the U.S. is already moving towards a much greener in energy, uh, energy production anyway. Over the last 20 years, the U.S. has moved more rapidly than most other countries, uh, thanks to, um, you, know, th- you know, thanks particularly thanks to fracking, by the way, and the, and the growth of natural gas, which is much less, which is much more carbon efficient than coal. But you're absolutely right. Why now? Why do this now? Why? By the way, take the Keystone XL pipeline. One of the first thing he did on his first day in office was 
sign uh, an executive order basically shutting shutting that down. That doesn't even that doesn't even involve any oil extraction from any fossil fuel extraction from the U.S. It's simply a pipeline. It simply carries fuel yeah. from Canada down to the Gulf of Mexico. It's going it, oil from Canada down to the Gulf of Mexico. If that oil is going to be transported anyway. It's probably going to be transported on trucks and everything else. It's just symbolic ideology, Brian. It's an it's a signal like all of these things that this is what we're going to. This is how that we're in. We're the masters now. We're in charge. This is our ideology. This is our progressive agenda. Right. We're going to push it through. And as you say, twenty thousand jobs are going to go. Who cares? They don't care as long as they get the message across that this is their long term goal. Their long term. They're, they're they're committed to these long term goals. And it's not. And it's and it's incredibly damaging at a time, as you say, when the economy, you know, mm-hmm. is in such a weak condition. And just as we might be. Thanks to the the arrival of the of the vaccine, we might see, you know, the, the, in the second half of this year, a return to strong growth. He seems to be going out of his way to actually harm the economy with moves like that. Or, and he feels though the growth is going to be so strong it could get plowed over, and people say, "Look at how the economy turned around." It has everything to do with the vaccine? And by the way, cases have dropped down with the pandemic between twenty seven and thirty five percent in terms of cases. Deaths are dropping too. This is all good news. So maybe it'll mask some of the uh, some of what's gone wrong with the economy. So the other thing we're having is let's reprogram. Trump supporters. We got to find a way to cancel those people that are dangerous to the country. Vivek Ramaswamy is a tech expert, uh, teaches over at Harvard. He weighed in on this and where it's going right now. Cut 44. It's fundamentally divisive, and it goes against a basic principle in this country is that irrespective of what your belief or my belief is, we respect each other, not just when we agree, but when we disagree. And we've now perverted that. That's, that's become a, a mutant alternative to say that if we disagree with you, now we're competing with how quickly we can cancel one another and how quickly we can silence one another. And so I think it's fundamentally un-American. I think it's what George Orwell might have imagined four decades ago. We're now seeing in action. But we're not seeing it in action through the government. We're seeing it through the births of this new government, big government, big business duopoly, a woke industrial complex is what I like to call it. And, and I think that that's actually the big danger today for everyday liberty, not big government alone. Yeah, shut down the opposition, squelch, uh, their, uh, squelch their voice, and stop complaining about it. Exactly. That's right. Vivek uh, is very, very good. I've had him on my own um, TV show talking about this issue. It's exactly right. And it, what's disturbing, most disturbing, Brian, about this, as you say, that it's not even, he doesn't even need the government to try and do this. He doesn't need government measures to, you know, to, 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 to keep to Trump supporters uh, out of um, out of the media or out of universities, that they're doing it themselves. The, you know, Harvard University is going around saying it's not going to hire people who worked in the, you know, who had anything to do with the Trump, or worked for or lobbied for in any way involved with the Trump administration. The media themselves are calling for other parts of the media to be shut down. You've seen all these pieces on CNN and elsewhere in the last in the last week or two saying, you know, maybe 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 Fox News needs to be closed. Maybe yep. it needs to be banned. Maybe these people, you know, this is this is what I mean. It's obviously anti-American and illiberal and everything that this country stands for. But what is so disturbing and so depressing is that it's not just these progressives who've now taken over the government doing it. It's their allies in the media and academia and else and companies as well, you know, techno- big mm-hmm. tech companies. Look at what the tech companies are doing, shutting down all of these, uh, all of these uh, dis- dissenting uh, platforms. 
it's the company, it's the private sector that's that, that's that's actually most enthusiastic, and the media themselves who are most enthusiastic about shutting down media voices. We've never seen anything like it. Jordan, I, I actually hear by hearing your voice, it's so unlike you. I mean, you are really alarmed about what's gone on over the last two weeks. I am, yeah. I look because we well, look, when Biden, Biden, if you remember, ran. He won the Democratic primary in large part because he wasn't part of the crazy left, right? He beat Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, and um, you know we sort of saw that and we thought, yeah, you know what? He seems to be, you know, we, he's, he's a Democrat. He's a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat, but he doesn't seem to be on the far left. He, he said repeatedly during the campaign, "Do I look like a kind of crazy socialist?" And so when he came in, you know, obviously concerned about what Democrats would do, but at least he didn't have. You know, there was a sense that you know Biden isn't going to be. Yeah. Uh, captive of the left. Everything he's done in his first week, Brian, suggests to me that actually he's completely, you know, it's exactly what, uh, it's what AOC or what the, the, you know, the far left of the party would, would want to do. I haven't seen any indication yet. Now, maybe, maybe to be fair, maybe let's give him time. Maybe he's giving all these things over to the left now, and maybe he's going to row back to the center, and maybe we'll see something different. But it's not an encouraging start. And um, I think that giving the left, giving this progressive move, um, you, 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 making all these progressive moves, mm-hmm. I think is going to have long-term consequences that are going to be incredibly damaging for the country, whatever he does uh, in the next two to four years, however long he has. And when do we watch a TV show, George? Friday nights on Fox Business, uh, and it's repeated over the weekend, but 9, 9.30 Eastern on Fox Business. Thanks, Brian. George Baker, editor-at-large of the Wall Street Journal. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. And his column, by the way, is funny. It's sarcastic, but it's alarming. Uh, and he's somebody who is always, to me, reassuring. But it shows you where we're at right now. And I could not be more disappointed in the big picture as uh, we then get set in a couple of weeks to look at impeachment, which is going to go nowhere. one 408 I see you up there uh, from, from New York City to Indiana. We'll get to all of you. And to Illinois, this is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The John Brennans, Adam Schiff's, and the oligarchs in big tech who are trying to undermine our constitutionally protected rights and turn our country into a police state with KGB-style surveillance are also domestic enemies and much more powerful and therefore dangerous than the mob that stormed the Capitol. Now, President Biden, I call upon you and all members of Congress from both parties to denounce these efforts by the likes of Brennan and others to take away our civil liberties that are endowed to us by our creator and guaranteed in our Constitution. Tulsi Gabbard last night, Congresswoman Democrat, now retired, not doing this anymore, ran for president. She is alarmed about what they're doing to try to cancel Republicans, deprogram Trump supporters, and uh, try to oust those who wanted to challenge the Electoral College, the 100-plus in the House, and the, the couple in the Senate, uh, Hawley and Cruz. Uh, that's disturbing to a Democrat. You can imagine how Republicans feel. Uh, let's go out to Bill listening on WABC. Hey, Bill, in Brooklyn. Good morning. I was listening to Adam Schiff on one of the uh, Fox things, and I had to tape it and listen to it twice because I thought I was hearing things. He says we have to get rid of dangerous groups, and among others— and then he mentioned <clears throat> white nationalists. Now, who are white nationalists? 
If I, am I a white nationalist if I put my flag outside my house? This has to be defined to me because I'm starting to get really worried. Not scared. We're very worried. And we have to do something or say something. Something has to be done. I want them to define what are the white nationalists. Is. Absolutely. Uh, and you got to step up and do it. I mean, when they're talking about the Proud Boys or whatever, they want to have broad strokes. They want to make everyone that's a Trump supporter seem like a, a white supremacist racist. But you know why? It helps them politically. That is why they're going ahead with impeachment. Bill, thanks so much. Uh, let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. So Larry Kudlow, one of our great guests, did a great job for President Trump, will now host a daily show on Fox Business. It'll start February 8th. Remember, he was on CNBC for a while. Also, it looks like Kaylee McEnany is heading our way, which would be great news. So far, it's not official yet. Any problems with that, guys? Love, love Larry Kudlow. Looking forward to having him back on the program as much as possible. Next, Kirby Enthusiasm back for season 11 without Richard Lewis. Evidently, he's having some physical problems. Shoulder surgeries will keep him from coming back. Uh, tweeted cast member Cheryl Hines says, we're going to miss this season. Season 12, it is. He'll miss this season, so he'll be back again. I find that show to be good, but not nearly as good as Seinfeld. I like the early seasons. I sort of faded off in the last two seasons. Next, Hank Aaron's closest friends and teammates joined to pay tribute to this great slugger from Atlanta who started at Milwaukee and ended up with the Brewers. Cut 47. He set the perfect example for everyone in Atlanta Braves organization on how to deal with adversity. You just spread a little grace on it, and you go play ball. Keep swinging. As he would say, I feel that if Hank were to have one last message for all of us, it would be to respect each other, to help each other, and to keep love in your heart. You are a transcendent baseball player, but you're also a transcendent figure in American history. We are so going to miss you. I speak for everyone affiliated with the Braves organization. We will continue to spread your good word and make sure your legacy continues to flourish. And you know what's kind of cool? Uh, what was the Fulton County Stadium was before this latest stadium, which has now been replaced? Right. In the parking stadiums. lot is the fence, is the wall that the ball went over oh, when Hank Aaron hit 715. Oh, that's great. They yeah, so you'd be in the parking lot, you just see this wall sitting there, and it said it. Almost like the Apple that was at Chase Stadium, they just left it in the parking lot and built a stadium next to it. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Thanks so much Kilmeade. for listening, everyone. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Brian Kilmeade Show. Dr. Tom Kersing at the bottom of the hour. The damage done to our kids as they sit out of school in Virginia for 300-plus days. In Chicago, they vaccinate the teachers. They fix the ventilator system. You still can't get them back to school. Same thing in so many places in California and in Manhattan, New York. So many places, so many parents. We're going to talk to Tom Kirsting about the damage being done to the kids. We have no choice. They have to go back to school, especially K through 8. And Mike Rowe is standing by. He's got a brand new show. It's excellent. So first, let's get through the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This impeachment is nothing more than a partisan exercise designed to further divide the country. Democrats claim to want to unify the country, but impeaching a former president is the antithesis of unity. Still trying to oust Trump. A poll shows 54% expect him to run again. And now it doesn't even look like they have close to enough votes to impeach. When can we stop this theater of the absurd? Number two. I don't think unions are overruling studies. I think what you're seeing is the schools that haven't made the investments to keep the students safe. That's not true. Open up the schools, end the lockdown, cycle the vaccines. Let's get back to work. Enough. Number one. I'm rescinded the previous administration's harmful ban on diversity and sensitivity training and abolish the offensive counterfactual 1776 commission. And the simple truth is our soul will be troubled as long as systemic racism is allowed to persist. Right. My soul be troubled. Uh, Yes, exactly. War on jobs. In the name of party politics, Joe Biden's focus on being woefully woke ignores the pandemic's economic struggles and continues to attract oil, gas, drillers, the wall makers and everything, including making our borders insecure in a time when we're even telling our allies to stay home. It makes no sense. But a guy that makes total sense is Mike Rowe. And I say that not just because you're listening, Mike. (laughs) Well, look, one good uh, suck up deserves another. As I'm sitting here on hold, I say to Eric, your producer, is there anything I should know? And he says uh, that Brian Kilmeade is awesome. I said, "Okay, just put me through, for God's sake. (laughs) You've had enough. And it was Pete, by the way. Eric does not like me. Pete does. Oh, really? Yeah. It was Pete. I couldn't tell who I was talking to. I mean, they're they're both such sycophants. You know, it's difficult to to separate. Well, how many of your staffers like you, like like you, besides you, that you pay them? Like, how many do you think would say, that Mike Rowe's a good mm -hmm. guy? Yeah, I, I let them all go, Brian, in these <laughs> difficult times. It's, it's easier just to be. No, you know what? I got eight people, and yeah. they, 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 like they all claim. They claim to like me, and, and they seem persuasive. So <laughs> I'm going to go with it, yeah. Yeah, they will not submit people to cross-examination, like so I'm going to go with it, too. They're also pumped up for your brand-new show, Six Degrees with Mike Rowe, on the Discovery Plus uh, streaming service. So, Mike, you've adjusted to the times. You went from cable syndication, where you were just a great host on Dirty Jobs, and now you own everything you do. And now you're streaming like well, all the kids. <laughs> it, it's so lit. It's just so lit. See. Um, well, look, I'm trying. I'm trying not to get left behind, but I'm not exactly burning the bridge behind me. You know, cable's still a big deal, and I'm I know. gonna try and do something there. You know, Facebook's the thing, streaming's the thing. I, I'm, I'm always late to the party, but it seems like if the content is decent, somewhere, somehow, somebody will find it. Thirty-six percent of Americans will watch the Super Bowl while stream the Super Bowl. That's how much we've yeah. changed. Well, you mentioned my staff. Um, half of them are under 35, and none of them own a TV. I know. It's and amazing. It's the others, I don't, I, I don't think anybody subscribes to cable anymore. I do because I'm ancient and whatnot. But, I mean, it, it, it is amazing when you look back and go, this is not a secret. Cable companies, satellite companies, I, these are dead men walking five years from now. I, I love this. I called the other day. I'm having a problem with my cable. They go, can you want to shut it off and, and, uh, and put it back on? I'm like, really? That's why I called you? I'm like, are you kidding? So, so 
you know what? Now that we're talking about it, I want to talk about this show. It looks great. It's six Degrees with Mike Rowe. And then I want to talk about the jobs that are just going out the window with, the, with, the, with one signature. But on this, yeah. what was your approach to this, Mike? Well, you know, Dirty Jobs was a tribute to my granddad. Yep. Uh, we've talked about it. Guy could build a house without a blueprint. And I wanted to try and find a show that would somehow elevate and celebrate that guy who, in my estimation, had become somewhat invisible in the 21st century. Um, Six Degrees is kind of a tribute to my dad, who was a history teacher for 30 years, taught junior high and high school history. And he always said, look, it's not really about dates and names. It's not really about it's not really about education. It's about finding a way to make people interested in topics they didn't know they cared about. That's the job of a good teacher. And in nonfiction history programming, there's a parallel. So I always wanted to do a show in that space that took the pretense and the preciousness out of, (laughs) out of the whole idea of, of telling you the way it was. I really just want to tell you the way I heard it. Right. So each episode talks starts with a, uh, a really ridiculous question. Can a sheep do your taxes? Can a horseshoe find your soulmate? Can a mousetrap cure your hangover? The answer is always yes. But the show is an attempt to prove how those two seemingly disparate points are, in fact, connected. We use everything from bad reenactments to suspicious wardrobe to puppets to animation to archival footage. I walk through time on a budget. And when the dust settles, you have a better idea of how weirdly connected we we've always been. And, and one of the one of the stories you have is how uh, some drawings on the moon look exactly like the Roman chariot, some of the roads uh, that according that's to this Oxford you, professor. Yeah, yeah, that um, that's an example I use when people say, why did you want to do the show? Because years ago I stole this idea from a, a brilliant uh, professor named James Burke, who used to host a show called Connections back in the 70s. And in one of his episodes, this guy used to wear a, 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 a white leisure suit and he had long white hair and he was the professor you wish you had. And he'd, he'd stomp through the streets of London saying things like, and tonight we're going to illustrate why it is that the tracks left by the first Roman chariot are of an identical dimension to those left on the moon by the lunar lander. And I'd be like, how the hell are you going to do that? But he always did. He always landed the plane. And I always felt slightly smarter than I really was at the end of the show. And that's what I wanted to do here. I mean, when I do, um, so I was able to do these four history books. And I thought, would it be better, instead of waiting for someone to book you and ask you to speak, like no one could ever afford Mike Rowe, uh, except for these major corporations, international conglomerates can afford Mike Rowe's speaking fee. I said, why don't I be able to be able to talk about these books on stage? And I just do it in a conversational way, and people don't realize. They say, I'm never, I can't believe I'm interested in history. I never was interested in history before. And to me, I think to yourself, how can you not? There's stories. What if I told you there's a story? What if I told you it was true? What if I told you it was about your country? What if I told you you can go back to the site in which it happened? And then people get intrigued. You don't have to. You could be a mathematician, or you could have maybe dropped out of school in ninth grade. It doesn't matter. Because people are interested in those things, as Storytell right. That's why uh, this series is going to work on discovery. Now, I got to ask you about well, work. Thanks. Yeah, I got to. I got to ask you about work. Period. What were your thoughts sure. when you thought, with the signing of two documents, eleven thousand people would be out of a job who worked on a pipeline, and five thousand would be out of a job 
who are putting up a wall at our southern border. What, what were your thoughts of a guy that knows what it's knows more blue collar workers than maybe anybody else in America? Well, I mean, I immediately called half a dozen of those guys, um, three of them uh, in the union and three of them not. You know, this you're talking about the XL pipeline. Yes, that's that impacts so many people, Brian. We we still don't quite get the enormity of what just went away. I know that oil is going to come out of the Alberta shale one way or the other. Ninety eight percent of it's going to come down to this country one way or the other. It's going to be carried not in a pipeline now, but on on rail and in trucks. And the environmental impact is going to be exponentially worse. We destroyed I don't know how many jobs in this country. I've heard between uh, ten and 11,000. But what, what about the Canada side? I've heard 50,000. I mean, this thing with the stroke of a pen has, has sent an incredible message regarding the future of work and the definition of a good job uh, over the bow. And it's not a good message. So I'm, I'm personally hopeful that as people start to step back and really, really look at the unintended consequences of what just happened, uh, we're going to realize that there is no upside. Even if you're in the camp that says the world's going to end in 12 years, you can't look at a pipeline vis-a-vis our relationship with energy overall and conclude that energy is somehow the enemy. We're, we're in a very, very uh, sensitive spot right now. And unfortunately, Uh, There's not a lot of credibility in our institutions, but the truth has to get out there because the stakes, I don't think, have ever been higher. I mean, unemployment's about 7%. Uh, These small businesses are going out on a daily basis never to come back. You would think the last thing you want to do in a crisis is do that. But you talk to real people instead of just a number. Uh, We talked to Neil Crabtree. He was laid off as a Keystone Pipeline worker. Cut seven. I don't know what I'm going to do right now. It's, It's tough. But I'm aggravated, uh, you know, for the president to sit up there and tell the American public that he canceled this project because of climate reasons. Just it simply isn't true. This oil is already coming into the country. This pipeline wasn't going to be the start of it. It's coming by rail cars every single day, hundreds, thousands of them. And it only makes sense. A, a, A pipeline can do this safer. Common sense tells you that. A common sense says we don't need to be putting American workers out of a job right now. Uh, common sense says this pipeline needs to be built, but common, common sense seems to be lacking in uh, some of the early days of the decision of this new administration. And do you wonder why people can't get their eyes off of politics? Because it does affect us on a daily basis, like, like Neil, who found out one day he was unemployed the next. Let me tell you something, Brian, that, that I didn't think I was going to say today, but, it, but I think it's important. This show, Six Degrees, it wasn't ordered by a network. I went out and I tried to do it on my own, and I got a sponsor to help. The sponsor was the natural gas and oil industry. I'm going to take a lot of heat for that. But you know what? Energy can't be our enemy. Energy connects everything. Civilization is held together by pipes. If we get it into our heads that that reality is fundamentally at odds with our best future, then we are, we're in for a real problem. Energy can't be the enemy. And by the way, I'm, I'm in no way opposed to alternative fuels. In fact, the people I work with on the fossil fuel side invest millions in, in wind and solar. 
And people need to understand energy can't be the enemy and we can't be energy dependent again. It, in my view, and what do I know, but from what I've read and what I've seen, that is the kiss of death. In fact, that is so true. But by the way, natural gas and oil is, uh, is one of the great things that has happened. What we've done fracking is pure American ingenuity and entrepreneurship, and that's allowed us to even be an answer to Russia, who's giving natural gas to Europe and basically keeps them on the natural gas crack pipe. I want you to hear what John Hoffmeister said, the CEO of Shell Oil. He used to be. Let's listen. The Keystone cancellation makes no sense for the future good of the American people. It's a very short-sighted because we're going to continue to need infrastructure. Even if we don't use gasoline at some point, we still need petroleum for so many other applications, including jet fuel and, and including, you know, heavy freight. And, and, and just like I said before, the, uh, the, the petrochemical industry. So oil's not going away. Anyone that thinks it is certainly doesn't understand how the economy works and how science works, we're in for a number of years of struggle while we also work on the next set of alternatives. Yeah, and it's just a practical guy speaking who doesn't have to work another day in his life, but just aggravated because he cares about the country. Uh, Mike, you should be proud of going out and getting a sponsor. That's also the American way. Uh, when you hit some roadblocks, go out and do it yourself, right? And you should, be, you should be proud of the books you wrote. I mean, look, even though they're pop-ups, I found them riveting. And, you know what? Um, that that hurts my feelings uh, because children's books are important. A pop up is good, but I actually went a little bit further than that. Uh, so, and just for that, I'm not mailing no, you, you any free books. And, and no, I, I don't want them. I I bought your books and I display <laughs> them proudly in a in a closet in my home where people rarely go. But still, I have them. And just knowing I have them makes me feel smarter. Mike, you so do everything you. from Skype. I get to see what's in your backdrop. Why can't I see one spine of one of my books the next time you do a hit on MSNBC or CNN? <laughs> you know what? Never mind the background. If I go on those stations again, I'll have it in the foreground, and I'll peek from behind <laughs> your name like Waldo searching for his own identity. Right. I can't, see, I can't wait to see Chris Cuomo's face. Uh, micro, uh, congratulations on six degrees, right? Micro on Discovery Plus. Stream it now. Mike, thanks. Thanks, Brian. And thanks for Take joining care. me last week on the Primetime Show. It was great. It was a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, the bill's in the mail. I know. Uh, back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Chuck Schumer is run by uh, AOC. I mean, everything up here is what do AOC, AOC want? Because Chuck Schumer is worried about a primary. So, so you know, everybody in uh, everybody on the Senate side and the Democrat side, actually, they should just they should just wait and see what AOC says because that's actually what's happening. She, if she says, well, we need to go this way, then Chuck Schumer says, I got to go that way. I don't want to have a primary. 
Uh, I wouldn't doubt that that's the issue. I mean, can you really be that scared at this point in your career of somebody with almost uh, no experience or accomplishments, but it's got a, d- a degree of charisma and is very social media savvy? I guess so. Jim is in Kansas City. Hey, Jim. Hey, Brian. How you doing? I just wanted to call and let you know that uh, I really do like your show. Uh, recently, I listened to it on 1410 out of Kansas City, and I recently switched over from a local show from a guy you probably know. I won't mention his name, but you probably know who he is because he used to work for Fox. But just a, uh, two more things that I got really uh, just wanted to let you know about that. But two things I have. You know, I really could get behind Tulsi Gabbard. And I, I heard your clip, and I've watched her, and I really could get behind her. If she, but I, she needs to just switch parties. I agree. Okay, because if she switched parties and became a Republican, she could get support. I would fully support her. I just can't ever see myself voting Democrat. Now, one other thing I just got to get in. I haven't mentioned this to anybody. Could you please tell me what the hell Harold Ford Jr. was thinking about when he had uh, Mao in his backdrop? And once again, Brian, love he, your show. He said he was renting the house, Jim. Uh, he said he was renting the house and didn't really control the decor. But that, that was a crazy thing to have in your backdrop. Oops, there's Stalin. You know, I don't care what house I rent. I'm taking down Mao, Stalin, uh, Kim Jong-un. I will not uh, do any live shots in front of all of them. Eric and Pete, would you take that down? Uh, I would take down Eric's photo. <laughs> Eric has no history of being a despot. That's so I think you'd be safe. Yet. <laughs> I guess. But he is he does tend to be an absolute monarch. Uh, oh, you should hear the yelling and the screaming that goes on when we turn on the microphone. You're right, off. that is bulletproof glass and soundproof glass. So I do not know what happens in there. In fact, uh, it might even be a video. Might not even be see through glass. Hey, when we come back, I'm going to talk to Dr. Tom Kersing about our kids, what they're going through as school is on hold. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. My children have been um, homeschooling since March of last year. And let me tell you that my daughter, she's a junior in high school. She is um, excelling, doing the best that she can. But this is the time where she is supposed to be thriving even more, talking to school counselors about college. She can't even get a response from her uh, college counselors. Um, she's doing, like I said, she's doing the best that she can. It's very frustrating. That was my sigh from television today, not just now. I feel so bad for these these women and these parents. Uh, I talked to a dad uh, from Virginia. I talked to her from Portland. And it's the same story. They've been out of school with their kids, K through 8. One they pulled out and put into third grade parochial school because they actually went to school. The other one, they don't have that option. And the man, the dad, could not afford to send them both to private school. Tom Kirsting knows it all. He's a doctor, a licensed psych- uh, psychotherapist, and author of the book, Disconnected, How to Reconnect Your Digitally Distracted Kids. Dr. Kirsting, I didn't have to tell you ahead of time the detrimental uh, things that could occur had kids been held out of school for a long period of time. But uh, your worst nightmare is coming true for so many parents. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we already had an, an epidemic, a mental health epidemic, Brian, um, prior to COVID with kids with anxiety and depression and so forth and, and the escalation of the suicide rate. COVID is the icing on the cake. And I'm here at my private practice. I'm actually at my office right now. Um, since last March, I've been, I've been handling so many issues with middle school and high school kids that are really unraveling and their parents are unraveling. And essentially what has happened is the, a child's sense of normalcy has just been stripped out from under their feet, and now they're reclusive, they're socially isolated, and they're getting in their own heads, and it's really a problem. Let alone the sports. I mean, a case study, they, among oh. the 11 North Carolina districts serving more than 90,000 students and staff, they had a nine-week period this fall where researchers found that 32 infections acquired in school compared to 773 of students and staff infected outside of school. None of the 32 in-school transmission involved students infecting teachers or staff. These teachers that say they're worried about being infected, the ones in Chicago who say even though they got vaccinated, they want their kids to be vaccinated, that to me is, is cruel. That to me is diminishing your impact on the job you chose to think that you're going to demand kids get vaccinated when it hasn't even been tested yet, nor has there been a study that shows that they're in danger of spreading it. Yeah, no, I, I completely I completely agree with that. Um, you know, everything I've read so far, you know, suggests that uh, the kids at the school age kids that, that that COVID doesn't really impact them. They're not transmitters of it. Um, there's like a 99.8% likelihood that they're going to be fine if they get it. So, you know, I, I know I worked in education for 25 years. I was a public school counselor, so I understand the whole union and all that stuff. But, you know, at this point, you know, everybody, we have to put aside the politics and everything. We really have to zero in on what, what is in the best interest of the kids. I'm hoping, you know, that teachers really do step up to the plate here because um, I know that uh, President Biden recently announced that he's going to put in an executive order where kids have to be in school in 100 days. It's something I agree with. I think that's something that, and I think everybody agrees with that. We have to get these kids. We've got to focus on that and take out all the other stuff. Uh, absolutely. But these uh, teachers union put him in office. And when he was asked yeah, directly yeah, right. why the Chicago teachers union is allowed to not go back to school and ignore your order, he turned it to a different subject. So here's the Washington Post had Matt Biden editorial known to be a left wing uh, newspaper. Quote, African-American and Latino kids from low income families in the county of Maryland largest are failing classes at five to six times the rate they did a year earlier compared with other minimal increases for white students. So don't tell me you care about minorities and continue to ignore the needs of minorities because oftentimes they don't have the laptops. They don't have the background. They maybe don't have a parent uh, to look over their shoulder, maybe like more nuclear families do. So this is hurting them. When do teachers realize they're essential workers? At what point? You know, I think, you know, what I've noticed when I worked in education is like, you know, most of the teachers are, are solid people. But the problem, the problem is the union. They're itself. great the, people. The, the union reps and so forth. And and what I experienced when I worked there is, uh, you know, the union, there was always seemed like a battle against the union reps and the administration and so forth and the boards of education. Now, at some point. You know, they got to get on the same page, all of them, Board of Ed, Teachers Union and everybody, and really have a sit down conversation and, and really dissect the issue what's going on here. I mean, take a look at what just, you know, was just revealed in Nevada, where 17 students since March took their own lives, which is double the total amount uh, in all of 2019. Um, what did Nevada do? All right. They looked at that and they said, you know what, we are now opening school. We don't care about any yep. any any politics, any union stuff. School is being open. So we need someone in each individual school that's going to lead, that's going to set the precedent, and is going to say, here's what's going to happen, whether you like it or not, because the kids are what matter. 
I know so many teachers who have to teach by Zoom because their union won't let them go in, and they're so frustrated. Here's more, uh, here's more from Lucy Mitchell. She talks about her eighth grader, Cut 50. My eighth grader, on the other hand, this is a pivotal time for him. He's supposed to be engaging. He is supposed to be thriving, dealing with sports, which are gone. School crushes. Not that you would want to encourage that, but at the same time, that's a part of this time in his life, having that camaraderie with his teachers. And he is dealing with insomnia. He is dealing with struggles and overwhelm. I'm sorry, but I don't deal with eight hours of Zoom calls in my job, and my son does. His eyes are burning. He is um, dealing with um, having to take additional um, all-natural supplements in order to sleep better. So if that's your patient and Lucy Mitchell walks into Tom Kirsting's office, what do you say? Because you, you can't do what needs to be done, and that's put them into class. What do you say, Tom? Yeah, well, you know what the issue there, I mean, you mentioned my book earlier, Disconnected, which is all about the impact of tech on kids' brains and their lives and their emotional and mental health and so forth. Uh, and now, you know, it was already a problem. Kids were spending between eight and nine hours a day using screens, not included for school-related use. And now they're spending all day on a screen, and then in their free time, they're spending more time on a screen. So, you know, it's the only thing parents could do is, is minimize the amount of screen time that their kids are using when they're not in school. And if And I had somebody I spoke to recently, too, and you had mentioned this a little while ago about and I know everybody can't do this, but people that have the means to do it are now sending their kids to Catholic schools because they don't fall under, you know, under state law. Um, and if, you know, if I, if I was in a situation like this, I'd consider the same. Thank you. Know, both my kids, I have a senior in high school son and an eighth grade daughter. They're on, my daughter goes in half a day and then she's on a computer. And my son is on Zoom. You know, thankfully, you know, it has not affected him. He's a unique, different kind of kid. Um, but, you know, the, these people coming into my office, like Lucy, like you, you just mentioned, it's, it, 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 there, there's not really a solution. The only, the only solution is we've got to get these kids out of their bedrooms and back into the classroom. Google, you know, which is, is kind of controlled our whole lives now, big tech, uh, they've now made it right into our kids' bedrooms. Google Classroom. Think about that for a minute. Uh, I hear you. Hey, we'll go to Florida. Florida said we're going back to school. <laughs> and in Long Island, where I am, they got contact tracing. And every day we get an alert. One person got it. Such and such people were next to him. You're off of. You got to learn remotely. You come back, uh, and, and you go back to school. And it's been working. It's been working. I believe since September. You know, basically since October, it's back to work. Well, let's deal with it. And don't you think, uh, Dr. Kirsting, this is a great way to teach kids overcoming obstacles? The pandemic is not your fault. You have to, in life, deal with things that are not your fault and somehow live your life. And, and you know what, Brian, it's a, an, actually an excellent point, all right, because we're looking at the doom and gloom of this, and it has been just that. But when we get out of this, I am hoping that kids will have learned something from this, where they have experienced this major setback mentally, emotionally, away from their friends and so forth. And, you know, you hear the old expression, you know, in order to succeed, you have to fail. And they're, you know, where they've been forced to have to fail in the game of life right now and as, as children, living lives as children. And hopefully they'll bounce back when we're out of this and they'll shine brighter uh, than before. That's it. That's what I'm hoping for. And I try to counsel kids in that mindset and so forth. And, you know, that's the best we can do. Yeah. And, and by the way, I really give credit to the districts. Nassau and Suffolk County is got off. They decided, even though the numbers were low, not to play sports. They have changed gears. 
And now they say they're going to put fall in in March. They're doing the winter sports in February. And the spring sports are going to play in April. And at the very least, give these kids six to eight weeks of competing, showing what they have, creating those relationships with other kids, competing hard against other schools and your rivalries. Give them some semblance of normalcy. I want other districts to do the same thing. Try. Don't knuckle under. Try. Yeah, and you know what? The fact that, I think you said Nassau County, you know what? Maybe they will be the one that will set the precedent because it takes one actual leader, one person that's going to lead the way that's going to create other leaders. So I'm glad that they took that step, and I'm glad Nevada took the step, and I hope other, I hope we'll have a domino effect where, you know, school districts are finally going to say, you know what, enough of this. We're going back. And if the union is going to give us a hard time, we're going to deal with it because we got to worry. we got to put our kids on the, the, the first and foremost. I also want to tell you it's not just about – uh, moms. It's about dads. Here's Justin Riddle. He's from Fairfax County. He's a dad, father of two. Cut 48. Our situation for our 190,000 students in Fairfax County is that we've been locked out of our schools for nearly 330 days now. We feel like Charlie Brown in that football. We've had three or four return to school plans. And just like Lucy, our school board yanks that football away at the last second. It's resulted in a very predictable academic and mental health crisis, and it's time for us to move forward. So that's how they feel. And as a parent, if you were there, if you're telling Justin Riddle, and he was he was the one who could send one of his kids to private school, that's the third grader, but not the older one, what do you tell Justin? I, I, I applaud Justin, and I'll tell Justin, you know what, get your other your, your friends in town on board. Get them on page with you and attend the Board of Education meetings that are held every however often they're held whether it's on Zoom or whatever, send letters in, put some pressure on, on, on the people making, on the decision makers. Um, and that's good. I'm glad for him, Justin. He's a leader in his community, and I'm hoping that people are listening. Hopefully people in his town are listening to this guy. So, by the way, talk about perceptions. Axios Ipsos does a poll, and they ask people before the election, do you trust in the coronavirus response? Uh, it has now gone up to over 50% just because of the perception. Have you noticed that perception sells? Whether it's true or not, it's how would you perceive to be true? It's called cognitive dissonance. Dissonance, And what that is is when our beliefs and our actions don't align or when two beliefs contradict one another. So a perfect example, I read that whole poll, is that there's a higher level of interest than ever, Brian, in getting the vaccine, yet only 12% of the people signed up for it. So that doesn't make any sense. So the question is this. As human beings, we're called thinkers. There was a famous French philosopher in the 19th century called Frederick Nietzsche. And he had a quote that went like this. We're under the presumption that we're thinking, but in reality, we are being thought. And what he meant by being thought is that our thinking is often controlled for us. And we don't even know that that's happening instead of ourselves doing our own thinking. Another perfect example is, you know, what I read recently is, um, you know, the pipe fitters union. You know, before uh, President Biden was elected, he announced that he was going to you know, pull the plug on the Keystone pipeline. Yet those union workers st- still voted for him. You know, it's like, think about that. It's like, you, you, you know, know that you're probably going to get fired, but you're still going to vote for the person. And I think, you know, that, 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 that mindset for four years, what I've seen is just from the mainstream media is just this absolute hatred for former President Trump that a lot of people just kept absorbing into their minds over and over again, creating this illusion that now that Biden's in the office, you know, he's, he's mm. the savior. Hopefully he will be, but he doesn't have enough time in office to, 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 to say he is. Yes. So it's all <laughs> it's perception. And what about these people yep. who say these Trump uh, supporters have to be deprogrammed? As a, as a psychotherapist, what does that mean to you? 
Well, deprogramming is a, is a term in hypnotherapy. I, I actually uh, do a lot of hypnotherapy here in my office. So the subconscious mind is like a sponge. It's the core. It's the hard drive of who we are. And you, you think about, you know, two people on a, you know, on a, when a hypnotist is waving their, their watch and people think that they're birds when they're not. You know, that, that's a bypassing of conscious critical thought. The subconscious mind is uncritical, and it absorbs something called suggestion. If something is repeated over and over enough, it bypasses our conscious critical mind and secures itself in, in our deep subconscious. And when you look at what has happened the previous four years, it was a constant, 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 never-ending bashing. And um, that, that, that folds its way into people's belief systems, into their minds. Um, and that's why we, you know, we're, 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 we are where we are right now with all this anger and rioting and everything else happening in our society. Well, I really, how much are you going to charge me for this session? Uh, how much you got? <laughs> well, I got to meet my deductible, so I got to pay cash, I guess. Uh, you know, it's a new year. Dr. Tom Kirsting, thanks so much. Just really valuable time. Kids need you more than ever, and, and hopefully we just get them back to school and solve a lot of problems. Absolutely. I appreciate it, Brian. Go get them. You, uh, you got it. 1-866-408-7669. Back to finish up with your calls in just a moment. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Special thanks to everybody uh, that tuned in today. Dr. Tom Kirsting for giving me a good hand and Mike Rowe for kicking us off. Joe, listen on WABC in the Bronx. Hey, Joe. Uh, good morning. I uh, just wanted to bring your attention to a very dangerous piece of legislation that's now in the House of Representatives. It's uh, titled the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act or bill or something similar to it. Um, Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, he actually does a very good job of now, uh, in terms of analysis of this bill. Uh, he basically delineates um, – I'm basically quoting from an article that he wrote, uh, basically that the FBI and law enforcement agencies would be weaponized under this bill to go after anything that's titled, quote, white nationalism, unquote. Now, when you, when you hear that label, I want you to read, that's a code for anybody who opposes the Biden administration no or Democratic po policies writ large, whether it's immigration, gun control, uh, foreign policy in the Middle East, whatever the case may be. They're going to use this as a red herring to go after legitimate political dissent without probable cause. Uh, absolutely. It's uh, something to pay attention to, Joe. Thank you very much. Chris, excuse me, Linda, listen on KIVA. Hey, Linda. Hey there. Um, I wanted to talk about one particular executive order from the Biden administration, that is this really uh, eliminating this, what they refer to as the Muslim travel ban. And in my conversations, I've been debating with a, a, a you know, liberal friend of mine, I'm like, it's, it, it's not a Muslim travel ban. If you look at it, you can see it's from Syria, Yemen, um, Iran, you know, these countries that are that are have known to be dangerous in terms of, of international terrorism. I said, it's not a Muslim travel ban. If you look at the population of countries that have the highest population of Muslims, indeed, none of them are on that ban. It's, so it's wrongly labeled. calling it a Muslim yeah. travel ban. It's just a label. I said, this is, and then he says, "Well, you know, we have to have the, all these executive orders to undo the damage of the Trump administration. So they are going to use this 
it's always going to be the excuse for the next four years. We must do these radical things to correct the four years of Trump. Uh, yeah, it's amazing uh, that, you know, but Trump allowed that to happen, Muslim travel ban, but it wasn't a Muslim travel ban. These are terrorist nations that were sending people over here without properly vetting them. And Trump said, we're going to put a hold on that. But it wasn't the Muslim world travel ban. And by the way, there was no backlash because terrorists are vilified in those nations, too. And they did not like the labels that al-Qaeda, ISIS and others, al-Shabaab and all those terror organizations were giving them. And if you look at the Middle East right now, Donald Trump has done more good in the Middle East than any president in my lifetime. The Abraham Accords are something no one saw coming. They will pay off for years to come with this thing called peace. But not if we start letting everybody in again without properly screening them. Not if we let our southern border open like a sieve. Listen tomorrow on the on Fox and Friends. We'll be back here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Go to Spotify, iTunes, iHeart, and download the podcast. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.